0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Steps Audio channel. We are very excited to share our content from Steps events to learn all about the latest trends in startups, digital media, fintech, future tech, and wellness in emerging markets. You can find us on Enagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite channel, and we hope you enjoy the content. Thank you all for being here today at Step
1: 2022. I think we can say day one has been incredibly successful. This room has been full throughout. And of course, you can hear everyone is just absolutely buzzing outside. We have our last panel of the day right now here at the Future Stage. And it is headed and paneled by Shako Zainal from MBRIF. He's going to be uh, moderating The panel, uh, who he's going to be joined by Ahmed Al Nakhbi from Emirates Development Bank, Abdullah Mutawi from Al Tamimi, and Jihad Sadiq from 40 Guard. Is everybody ready to take to the stage? Incredible. Can you please give them a warm welcome?
2: Okay. uh, Hello. Salam alaikum. Good afternoon. My God, it's it's very crowded, huh? I love the buzz. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Okay, good afternoon. as What a crowd. Mashallah, it's buzzing and very excited to be here. Just to introduce my name, uh, my name is Shakir Zainal. I'm head of Mohammed bin Rashid Innovation Fund. Uh, and I'll be hosting this uh, discussion, this panel discussion today. It's an important topic of ESG. During our discussion, uh, we will be uh, discussing the opportunities and the risk presented for startup in adopting ESG. Uh, So environmental, social, corporate governance into their corporate strategy. As per recent research uh, Bloomberg has done, the ESG is 40 trillion uh, industry worldwide. And the question is, however, how can we standardize and streamline ESG into into the strategy and, and into the companies? Uh, to discuss this more, I'm pleased and joined by you know uh, great leaders here, the panelists. We have three panelists, and they have financial background, uh, Ahmed, and we have the legal and the policy, uh, Saad Abdullah, and we have also uh, one of the startups founder, Sir Jihad. Just to introduce Ahmed more into details, uh, Mah- uh, Ahmed was appointed in May 2021 20, uh, to lead the transformation of ADP from a mortgage-led Uh, lender to a key enabler of corporate and SME in supporting of UAE economy, diversification plan, and industrial growth and adoption of advanced technology. He was recently named uh, as a best uh, CEO uh, in banking transformation in UAE 2021. So welcome, uh, Ahmed, and congratulations. Uh, And we have also Abdullah Mutawi, is partner ahead of corporate of uh, corporate and Tamimi Co., uh, taban, we are lucky to have you here because you are on a super of 50 lawyers, top 50 lawyers in the region. So Abdullah is an English qualified lawyer with 26 years of experience. And finally, Jihad, very well known to us because he's a member of alumni of MBRIF. He is the founder of 40 uh uses sense of technology and integration software platform inside from urban cooling capabilities to help. Uh, steer the future of cities uh, and to enhance the human comfort and optimize urban. Welcome, Jihad. So we'll get into the question. So I wanted to start with Ahmed. I have a question. I mean, when when it comes to ESG uh, investment and all of that, why do you think the CEOs uh, of organizations should adopt the ESG?
3: Thank you, Shaka. Um, Can you guys hear me, by the way? No, not at all. Right? Okay. Now you can. Okay. I need to one project my voice, and then two, we need to turn up the volume of it. Um, just give it one second. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Uh, so just to repeat the question, because I think I can, I could barely hear okay, the
2: question. Okay. So, uh, I mean, why do you think CEOs of organizations should be adopting ESG principles?
3: Okay. Okay. Good question. So, um. ESG is something that all organizations should be looking at and CEOs should be looking at this for a couple of very simple reasons. Um, If I was to, to just, you know, summarize it very briefly, Corona. And I'll tell you why Corona is the reason why all CEOs should be thinking very, very seriously about ESG today. You have two stakeholders in a company, two stakeholders that matter essentially, and then you have all the others. The two stakeholders that matter in any organization or any company are your staff, and your customers. That's it. What Corona did was it accelerated digitization. Okay, that's not something I need to explain, we all know it. Um, I'm sure that before Corona, probably the majority of people in here uh, didn't do a Zoom call or an MS Teams call or whatever it might be for your work, unless of course you're an entrepreneur. Um, I have in the past, for example, done uh, MS Teams and Zooms calls with teams globally, depending on where they are. But that got super accelerated during Corona. So what does that mean for a company? What does it mean for a company when all of a sudden your employees can be sitting anywhere in the world? What does it mean for a company when all of a sudden your customers can be sitting anywhere in the world? So even e-commerce, post-corona, became super, super accelerated. So now, if you weren't used to buying things online, corona came along and you have to buy things online. And not only that, but there's a high likelihood that you could shop for something uh, on Amazon on the US store. You could probably have something shipped from Europe. You could probably have something shipped from London. You could probably get something directly from Asia. So when your customers are all over the world and you have access to them, and your staff and employees are technically could be sitting anywhere in the world, what does that mean for your company? Well, what it means is that the talent pool has just been expanded for your employees. And if you really want to attract people, good people, you want to get the best of the best talent, well, the best of the best talent has a choice. They can choose to work for you and work for someone else. And I'll give you a simple example. During the transformation that we're going through in Emirates Development Bank, I was able to convince and attract people who are working for HSBC London, who are working for, um, out of Amsterdam for ING, um, who are working for uh, certain DBS and certain other banks in Singapore, um, other than of course locally, you know, the, the, the major banks that are locally. Why Why were they willing to come work for Emirates Development Bank in comparison to those mammoth banks? Because we had an ethos. We had an actual uh, uh, drive, a mission. And that drive and that mission was for the economic development of the country. Anyone who knows the banking sector, the banking sector is pretty straightforward. It's make a dollar out of 50 cents. You start with 50 cents, and then you make a dollar. Then you have a dollar, you make another dollar. Then you have another two dollars, you make another dollar. And that's it. Well, for someone like me, who's been a banker for 17, 18 years, that gets very old and very boring after a while. And what matters then is, okay, well, what am I doing with my life? What, what am I adding value to, the, to, to this world in? And so when you have an organization that tells you, look, come be a banker, but at the same time have the mission of developing the economy, of supporting entrepreneurs, of supporting SMEs, of making an economic impact and difference, then all of a sudden, the best of the best talent will be willing to work for those organizations. And like I said, Corona accelerated that because all of a sudden, that talent pool is accessible globally. I could technically hire people out of anywhere in the world. I could even have them live and work in that city, not even have have to move to the UAE in certain examples, in certain instances. And the same goes for customers. So why is it important for CEOs to think about ESG? If they don't think about it, I believe within the next five or ten years, you're going to start seeing a lot of major corporations cannot differentiate their brand while incorporating a proper mission, quickly falling to the wayside and you'll have these competitors come up and take out their business.
2: Good. Yep. Okay, thanks, Ahmed. So I'll, maybe I'll go to Abdullah. Uh, Abdullah, you know, uh, perhaps you can share your thoughts uh, on ESG from a you know policy perspective. And uh, I mean, how can corporate self-regulate? You know, I mean, self-regulate is... is, is uh, is what we always, you know, is you should be adopted rather than being, being pushed. So, and what are the role of the board to incentivize, you know, and encourage the action? You think so?
4: Thanks, Shakir. And, uh, I mean, first of all, I'm going to say, just agreeing with everything that Ahmed has said with regard to corona and the impact that it's had, I would say corona is actually, a has been a big ESG catalyst, at least in terms of saving uh, emissions on uh, on global flights and getting people used to virtual meetings. But... To your question, Shakir, I mean, everybody has a role. Um, and I think, you know, the, the nature of your question is, how should companies self-regulate in terms of ESG adoption, uh, implementation, monitoring and, and accountability? I mean, in my view, even government has a role to play, not an overly prescriptive role to play, but certainly there are... Um, legislative responsibilities and even executive responsibilities in modelling uh, the adoption of ESG principles and we're seeing that. I mean, even, look, the UAE, I've been living in the UAE for 10, 11 years. This is, I say this to all of my friends who either haven't lived here or are visiting for the first time, this is the most diverse place on earth. I've never been anywhere as diverse as this. We're now seeing, um, you know, quite radical changes to the legislative environment that are beginning to even adopt certain ESG principles. I mean, one of the biggest ones was the adoption of the um, requirement for every publicly listed company on the Dubai financial market or the Abu Dhabi exchange to have at least one female board member. It's kind of a step in the right direction, but I don't think it's the role of government to impose ESG. So to your question about self-regulation, again, everybody has a role to play. To your question to Ahmed about the role of the CEO, You know, the CEO has to be the role model for every behavior, for every cultural value within an organization, and that is the role of the CEO. I think the difference between ESG and CSR is that ESG is meant to be a framework by which you actually adopt and implement measurable um, criteria and KPIs for for successful ESG. The, The board of a company is part of the kind of group that's responsible for implementing. But you have to remember that from a legal perspective, the, the board's only responsibility is to act in the best interests of the company. So it's really the CEO's role to um, adopt and implement ESG policies. It's the role of the board to hold the CEO accountable. And ultimately, you know, talking to this audience and the world of startups, uh, and early stage companies, investors are going to be driving a lot of the demand that ESG has implemented as well. So, I mean, everybody, every stakeholder in the ecosystem has a role. And I think that's how self regulation happens. I think you do it not because somebody's telling you you have to do it. You do it because it's really your duty and your responsibility to do it.
2: Fantastic. Yeah. Totally agree. I mean, I mean that takes me to jihad. Again, you know, we talk about development bank, uh, quite big bank and orga- organization that are well established. But when we come to entrepreneurs and startups, uh, you know, jihad, I mean, I wanted to really share, if you can share your experience, how can you really adopt, you know, ESG, especially when you are maybe on a ideation level or maybe you're just starting. And how can really those principles help to build and really, uh, you know, and adopt. So uh, from your perspective, then, entrepreneurs, wh- what can you share with us and learning?
1: I mean, to complement the story that Ahmed uh, introduced, and uh, he also continued to, um, to tell, if you look into the U.S., for instance, those who care about ESGs are three. Millennials, um, women, and high network people. And if you look into the US for the next two decades, millennials are going to either inherit or create a wealth of $80 trillion for the next two decades. Those millennials, if you just take $20 trillion out of that, that's the size of S&P 500. So we know that there is a drive in the future when it comes to a startup like me, who needs a lot of fun to scale and grow to work within those ESGs, indicators, uh, activities, and, and requirements. I see it more of what comes in and what goes out. As a startup, because we're early stage, it's very easy to practice ESG. And it's very easy to practice ESG because you don't need to change, you just need to create. So you need to put a governance in place that really looks into best practices. You need to um, make sure that you're treating your employees um, with manner, and you need to make sure as well that you're looking into um, environmental practice within the supply chain of what goes um, indirectly or directly within your business structure. The other thing is, I think as a startup founder, I need to build technologies for decision makers to be able to implement ESG practices, right? So, for instance, um, FortiGuard is in a mission to cool cities. And we are trying to, or let's say we believe what gets measured gets improved. And the best solutions, they come from understanding data. So when we go to the decision maker or their teams and we provide them with data that is enough for them to predict optimization solutions for the next 5, 10, and 15 years, for them an implementation of a sustainability practice doesn't become a cost anymore, it becomes a revenue. And that's the role of startups is how can we as entrepreneurs, as founders, as team to look into providing technologies to the market so those ESG practices can be advanced.
2: Fantastic. Okay, great. So I mean, going back Ahmed, to your question, uh, to uh, another question, you know, I know you you've been in the organization for less than a year, and uh, I mean, I wanted to really ask you. I know there's a lot happening. We keep reading. There's a lot of uh, you know news that comes out of EDP. But I wanted to understand maybe more in detail how did you really embed the uh, principle of ESG, especially on environment, you know, on people, you know, good examples of products that uh, the design on the priority sectors that I've been reading through. So if you can share some of these solid examples of, you know, how you have really embedded the ESG into the, you know, culture and, of EDP.
3: Sure. So... For uh, Emirates Development Bank specifically, we're going to talk about the bank specifically. Um, it's about embedding a mission that we follow up with our products and our services, and we ensure that that goes all the way down to every single employee and every single member of staff that we have in the uh, in the organization. Um, if we're going to talk about ESG, it's, for me, ESG is a little bit broader than just uh, environment and uh, sustainability and governance. Um I look at it from the perspective of the culture that we create within the organization and how to embed it throughout that culture. So on one hand, like I said, it's through the products that we create. So the products that we have that are for um, environmental efficiency projects that we fund and that we finance, those are the ones that we give um, the highest level of uh, funding behind it. So we do up to 100% funding for any project that's related to uh, renewables or, or or any kind of um ESG related product, a uh, project. Uh, we also give higher tenors, so longer years for these kinds of facilities. Uh, we give better uh treatment when it comes to the um the moratoriums, the kind of uh collaterals. I don't want to get too technical because I don't know how many bankers are in the audience, but I I I I fair say that there's not too many bankers. <laughs> right? A lot of startups. So so what I what I will touch on though is that we as an organization built into our DNA something that banks will not do, which is against every single um, project that we finance, we develop what we call a development impact scorecard. And that development impact scorecard has about 30 fields that we assess every single project against. So it's not just about the credit worthiness. You know, today when you go to a bank, they assess your credit worthiness, your business's creditworthiness. If you're credit worthy, okay, they'll give you the money. If you're not credit worthy, okay, you don't get the money. What we look at separate to creditworthiness is your development and economic impact. So for us, that's actually just as important as creditworthiness. And if you score high on your economic impact for your business or your or your project, you actually will most likely end up getting a lot more leeway when it comes to the creditworthiness. We'll be much more lenient and, and, and easier on the terms of the loan and the facility. So that's been embedded into the DNA of the organization. Other than the products, it's how we actually look at what we do on a day-to-day basis. And then lastly, coming to the environment and the culture that we create around us. So again, we want the best talent from all over the world. We have to give that talent a mission and a purpose to come join us, to come work with us. Why us versus everybody else? And so that's been very important for us.
2: So I I agree with you. There's not a lot of bankers there, but I'm sure there are a lot of startups looking for uh, finance. So I think 100%... uh, uh, you know, uh, 100% uh, financing and 10 years tenor is quite attractive. Okay, so, uh, okay, let, let me go back to Abdullah, if you don't mind. Uh, should the ESG uh, principle uh, adopted to the local country? Because a lot of these are uh, very international. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, standards that's coming in. So, wh- what do you think?
4: I'm going to be controversial and say no. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, I think... Uh Everybody on earth has a duty to the environment, and it's a, it's a really important one. In fact, it's mission critical at this point. Um, you know, the, the, the healthy functioning of any society requires a healthy relationship between people, and it requires full commitment at every level of every decision-making kind of facet of society with regard to diversity, inclusion, the recognition of the principle that people are equal and human and should be treated well, to your point. I mean, you know, the, the, coro- the post-corona world has meant that the global workforce has become a lot more fluid. They have choices. The big resignation is a phenomenon that we're all reading about. And, you know, employees who are absolutely critical to any organization have choices now. Um, and there, and technology solution providers are making it even easier for employees to work in fluid ways. So we have to, you know, organizations have to compete. Um, and the way that you do that is by treating people like valuable human beings. And so is there anything culturally different about how you approach that here or anywhere else? I personally don't think so. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Okay. And, I mean, look, there's there's one other uh, point as well, which is it's not just your people and your employees. I think the the duty that we have with ESG is also to, to try and have an exponential network effect. And so it's not just about implementing ESG principles within an organizational structure, but it's also imposing it on the supply chain. Now, you know, before I joined the law firm I'm with right now, Altamimi, I was a senior partner in one of the world's biggest law firms headquartered in the US. And in the last three, four years that I was there, we were being audited by clients. And I'm talking about major private equity funds, um, you know, international oil and gas companies, technology companies being audited on our own ESG policies and practices. And, you know, what I think is incumbent on organizations to do, as I say, is not just take care of the environment or take care of their people by what they do within their institution, but to impose it on the supply chain as well. Don't buy goods and services from anyone unless you've audited and vetted their own ESG practices. And that's how you kind of really make an impact. Look, I think, I think this country is making a massive impact in this area. And it's, you know, one of the great things about being in such a diverse place that, you know, you can kind of adopt these policies and be first movers. And I'm meeting people every week right now who are living in the UAE who were not living in the UAE a year ago, and they've come here by choice because of you know various things that have attracted them to be here. I think that kind of network effect is can be really valuable.
2: Great, thanks, Abdullah. Okay, Jihad. Again, you know, I'm you know I'm so excited to ask you questions because you have that depth of knowledge and experience of startups. So tell me something, you know, from your experience, again, uh, where are you seeing the ESGs going? I mean, especially on startups, if someone just started thinking about the ESG, again, you know, it revolves. I mean, I know there's a lot of laws coming in. So how how can the startups, how can they see the future of ESGs, you think?
1: I'd like to go historically to okay. understand how the future is going to look like. Um, so the the term ESG itself was before sustainability, was before CSR, was before even religion, you know? Um, don't waste too much water, be respectful, um, be kind to people, and so on and so forth, right? ESG. It was normalized or officially structured by Kofi Annan when he wanted to speak to financial bankers, financial institutions. He sent 55 letters to 55 of them, and he asked them to bridge the gap between what ESG practices the investors are doing and how are those driving their investments. So it's literally bridging the gap. I think over the years, and how the world is going, ASG is going to be the drive of every business structure. And those companies who want to sustain doing business in the future world will have to make sure that those practices are one um, implemented. There is a framework for them to be implemented and everyone is indicated or disclosed to the practices by their KPIs every, you know, um, in, in every report or in every structure that they're doing. I think by default, we talked about culture, the UAE, and how this place is diverse. We talk about startups, small ecosystems, small teams that are working together I think by default you will see a lot of ESG practices going place into the future. I think the only thing is how can we transfer that culture into large corporations and how we can attract more investors to look into ESG, you know, practicing companies to put more money into and how we can have a proper framework from the government so everyone is accountable to those esgs being implemented
2: great okay maybe uh, we have uh, still five more minutes if there are any questions from the audience should we, yeah yeah should we take any question from the audience there are any questions
0: Thank you, gentlemen. My name is Hasna and I'm the founder of Dal Global, which is a, a startup with the MBRIF program. I agree with everything the gentleman said. Um, and I do believe ESGs are important. Um, my whole business proposition is based on that. And uh, more than just to please the millenniums and millennials and, uh, millennials and uh, the, the customer base. Um, this is this is necessary for the sustainability of of the business and both shared value between the communities and the uh, and the businesses. Now the question is, as as I mean yourself as executives and advisors to government policies, uh, what do you think needs to be done to make uh, this action really sustainable, genuine, uh, and impactful? Thank you.
4: Yeah. So, look, it's a good question, and I think I was talking at the beginning um, about whether or not government has a role in legislating for ESG. And, you know, I mean, whether or not you think uh, ESG practices should come in a kind of top-down format or in a bottom-up format, it's definitely a philosophical debate. I mean, I'm seeing it, you know, being in the corporate world, it, working with large corporations as my clients, but also being part of a large company um, that actually customers and, and consumers of products and services are increasingly demanding. And I think, you know, when you made the point earlier, that the demographic of people globally that is interested in dealing with businesses that are promoting sustainable practices and sustainability, taking care of the environment, taking care of people is growing. Um, I think it's a question of personal opinion whether or not the government should have a role. I personally don't believe it should in legislating to force ESG practices.
0: Actually the question is about ensuring that they are implemented and they are credible because a lot of people are taking advantage of of the buzzword and and and, and claiming yeah. ESG compliance when they actually are not. So is there like a check and balance system in place to ensure that the reports are accurate yeah. and, and again, to be, uh, um, to be correct to the customers.
4: So look, the answer to this partly lies in, uh, I mean, there's a distinction between public companies and privately owned companies. If we're talking about the, the, the private sector or, or corporations, what you can do is you can regulate what public companies do in terms of accountability. And for, for as long as there have been public companies and stock exchanges, there are obligations on companies to disclose information about their governance, about their results, about the way they manage things. So like I said before, you know, the difference between corporate social responsibility, which is kind of like a code of conduct, internal, you know, code that you adhere to, or ESG principles, which are usually implemented through measurable KPIs. You know, companies should be, of course, held to account if they're not publishing, the measurable data on their ESG policies, what their policies are, you know, what they plan to do over what period they plan to do it, and accountability that way. Because any public company has to publish this information to the public domain. Any person should be able to access that information and then make decisions, consumer decisions, and so on. In the private space, it's a little bit more difficult because private companies are by definition, you know, private. Um, but again, you know, even if they're privately owned hopefully the demand from their consumers and their investors is going to drive more activity towards ESG. But whether you can force them to either adopt ESG policies and to be accountable for them is a little bit more questionable.
0: The tax system is coming up, so maybe that can uh, enter into consideration for the tax uh, reporting in a couple of years or so.
4: Possibly. Mm -hmm.
2: Jihad, you had had a Uh, comment? Yeah, I'll probably just say
1: a few things. So ESG, I would say, again, it's a framework. So there is a culture around that, you know? In the So let's take the government. Because you want to enforce ESG to be practiced. So it doesn't become a buzzword. It's not a marketing narrative. It's not a tick in the box. Hey, we're doing this and that. If you take the UAE as an example, or any other country that's doing the same, if you have a well-defined, you know, best practice labor law in place, you have a lot of diversity. So socially, everyone is very much accepted. You can practice your religion, believes in everything, and you have a lot of respect from the, around, the surrounding. And then you have best companies, you know, a lot of those technology companies coming in and doing business in this country and so on and so forth by default you know esg is practiced right so now it becomes how can we incentivize and this is where uh, uh, ahmed was talking about this how can we incentivize more esg practices how can we attract more talent how we can keep people in the country you know he talked about people coming into the country by choice a year ago this is where we are today so again If you don't want this to be a buzzword and a marketing exercise, then I think we need to work on how we can make this more attractive to be practiced. And I think this is the role of startups. This is the role of the government. And this is also the role of investors. Us all working together is going to allow this to make a shift, not only in the UAE, but globally as well.
2: Okay, fant- fantastic. Okay, I, I think we will take the last question. I know yes. the message says time's up, but we have one more question there.
5: Yeah. Hi. I'm Hamid Kazim from Pricewaterhouse. I don't know whether you can hear me, Abdullah, because you were complaining about the sound system. Uh, it's actually a question initially. It was a directed to Jihad and probably partly to you after you answered her question. Now, Jihad, you mentioned that ESG is going to be obviously the future, right? Now, we all know ESG is partly used as a slogan, as a marketing slogan, and requires a lot of conviction and commitment and very high short-term investment for long-term gains. Now, most of the companies, unless they have to, they won't do it on their own because they're commercially driven. So my question to you, Jihad, and you need to have a Jihad to achieve this longer term, Mm So why do you say actually it is the future and everyone is going to embrace it? And on the side to Abdullah as well, you mentioned that you don't believe the government actually should get involved, but we all know all of these initiatives, at least without the support of government legislation, you will not be able to jumpstart them. So it's a twofold question to Jihad and Abdullah.
4: So
1: I'll, I'll try to make it short. So two things. We work with market-lead clients. When we started to build the technology, we were operating in what is called a technical debt. So we didn't have the technology fully established, the entire supply chain of how we do the business, in and out. When we went to the client, they started to ask us about data policies. What data policy do you have in place? Where do you process the data? Where do you store it? Does it leave the country? So on and so forth. So we started to go back. And again, this is more of an interaction that happened between us, the innovators, and the market who are receiving those products. So I think this is one thing that can be done. The market lead clients, those players who are out there, they need to communicate those ESG requirements. One. Second, I talked about... A lot of people see ESG practices, like you just said it, as a long-term investment. Why? Because the numbers are not there. So it's not clear. And everyone putting ESG on the table thinks about it as a cost, not as a revenue. We started working with clients by giving them an account for their ROI matrix, implementing ESG solutions. So when we told them you spend a million dollar into that solution, it's not a cost because in the next five, 10 or 15 years is going to bring you this X amount of dollars as a return on revenue. They started to exercise on the practice. I know there is a very heavy left on the decision maker to make those decisions, but us as startups, if we simplify that decisions for them, you know, then they will definitely take it because numbers cannot be ignored.
4: So, I guess you're asking me to come back to the question of why government should not get involved, or... Look, I mean, you know, when you legislate and you pass a law that says you must do this and you can't do that, you're creating a responsibility on the state to also enforce. Um, And I think that when you impose, you know, behavioural obligations on organisations or on individuals, you're kind of, you're taking it out of their hands. I think, I do believe, as, at least in as far as sustainability and governance is concerned, the, the, the social movement demanding change is very strong. And it's not, you know, among any particular demographic, well, beyond the demographic that you talked about, which is quite a large demographic. And I think this is something that is, that is you know, that is growing globally. In, like I said, in my in my day job, uh, as, a, as a lawyer, I work with a lot of venture capital funds and private equity funds whose limited partners, their investors are pension funds, their investors are financial institutions, family offices, you know, all sorts of different organizations. I'm seeing through that whole kind of supply chain of capital, i.e., the capital market, a very rapidly increasing demand for ESG practices. Um, and then at the consumer end, there's enormous demand for that as well and of course you know today's millennials are going to be the people who look like me in like 10 20 years from now and you know in that particular demographic esg ideas are in the dna you know because everybody is very connected to all of the issues that are at the heart of this i think you know that portion of society that hasn't yet bought into this uh, is becoming extinct quite quickly so, you know, that's, that's why I think in this particular domain, it should be self-regulating and it shouldn't be imposed by the government. I think people should do it. Uh, that's not to say that governments are not responsible for ensuring that they lower their own emissions and that they pass labor laws, as you said, that make sure that people are treated according to the highest possible standards. You know, I do agree that governments should be doing that, but that's governments regulating their own kind of behavior. Rather than, um, you know, forcing companies or organizations or even individuals to behave in a certain way. I don't believe in positive discrimination. I'll be honest with you. The law that you have to have a female board member in a listed company, uh, to me, doesn't do that much for women's rights or for diversity. It doesn't. Because, you know, women should be seen in the same way that men are for the qualities that they have, the talent that they bring, the contribution they make. And not be somehow imposed. I think, it, I, in my own personal opinion, it's kind of a counterproductive force. Not everybody agrees with that. I have arguments with my feminist friends and my kind of libertarian friends about this, but that's my own personal position on it.
2: Okay, I think, people. you know, the organizers are looking at me. So, again, this subject can go days. Uh, can, can, we can sit here and discuss this for days. But finally, Ahmed, thank you very much. Jihad, uh, Abdullah, thank you very much for your time and the insights. Thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find our content on Anghami, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Follow us on social media at Step Conference, and let's stay in touch.